got a lot of, a lot of people that need the Lord. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit tonight. You know, we're this, this year, and I look at the year, not calendar, I look at the school year, September to May, uh, in something called beginning of a movement. And, you know, I've told you how many times during this period of time, normally on Wednesday nights I do an in-depth Bible study. About once a decade I don't. This is that once a decade. For, I don't know what decade we're in yet. but uh, And so we're just kind of looking at the beginning of the movement. The, the, the Christianity isn't really just a religion. I mean, it, technically it is, but it's, it's really a movement. It's a faith. But it's, it's a movement of God working among people that he calls to salvation um, in the name of Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, which we will see next week. And so we kind of spent the fall and early part of the winter looking at, at just at Jesus. And now we're, we're looking through in May at the early church. Now, we're, last week we kind of looked at you know, things Christ commanded us to do. And, and today we're going to look at two passages very familiar, the Great Commission in Matthew and the counterpart found in the book of Acts. And, and what happens is we tend, uh, if you grow up in the church at all, uh, you have heard numerous messages uh, about the Great Commission. And uh, you've heard numerous, probably teachings and, and other things. You go to conferences and conventions, it's mentioned a lot. And, you know, a lot of times you hear the same thing, as you should. It's a pretty simple, straightforward passage, as is Acts 1.8. But sometimes we become, we hear so much, we just kind of get locked into a mindset. And, and it kind of just rolls past us. I don't preach from Matthew 28, since I've been here, but maybe once. Acts 1.8, maybe once or twice, but I reference them all the time. And it's easy just to kind of let it slide by you and say, yeah, I got it. And just, it just kind of, you kind of go numb to the significance. So tonight I want us to really try to see the significance for us as a church, because the significance it meant back then, what Christ told them back then, and how it was so important to the movement. Uh, the lesson tonight is, is uh, it's called Starting Time, because these two passages mark the start of what is to be reaching people for Jesus. So Matthew uh, 28, uh, starting, I'll start verse 16, I guess. The eleven disciples, because Judas wasn't around, they proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had uh, detailed. And when he saw them, uh, when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some were doubtful. Now, the idea of doubtful doesn't mean that uh, the eleven apostles doubted Jesus. The idea is probably there were some others maybe up there that were struggling, or that they were just not. They just were doubtful about what the future holds. And so Jesus came and spoke to them, and this is what becomes critical. We normally focus on verse 19 and 20, but verse 18 is what's really important. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, Acts 1.8, and I'll come to Acts 1.8 later, but I'm going to go ahead and quote it to you. Jesus says right before his ascension, he says, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and then Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Two words pop out in, in, in these passages. In Acts 1.8, the word power pops out. Jesus says, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The word power is the word dunamis. Uh, some like to say the word dynamite comes from that, maybe, but they didn't have dynamite back in Christ's day. Uh, much later, the term dynamite may be connected to that. But the word dunamis carries the idea of raw ability, just raw power. If, if, you, you know, if you go to the gym and you lift weights, you, know, you can have raw power. When I was younger, I had a lot more power until things started 
deteriorating in life. But I once had a lot of just raw power. In Matthew's account, what Jesus tells them, he says, all authority has been given to me. Now, the word authority is sometimes also translated power. It's, it's from a word, ekousia, that means that which is yours by right or which belongs to God. It's the type of authority that belongs to someone who has the power to be in control or in charge of things. It's not necessarily raw ability, but it is the right to make the decision or the right to be in control. And it's the, the authority that a judge has in a courtroom. It's the authority that you know, a president has with the limitations of I realize of the Constitution, but there's a degree of authority. You know, there's authority, and school teachers have some authority. It's things that are given to them. So Jesus says this, that all authority, every bit of authority that exists in all of the creation belongs to me. All the authority in heaven or earth. That's, that, that phrase, heaven and earth, then, is like inclusive of everything you can think of. There's nothing that escapes that. Now, when he says, you know, the Father or God has given me that authority, it's, it's not to lose sight of the fact that Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, has had it. And, and, and understanding that the Trinity, you know, is, is a critical doctrine. We have one God. One God who has one nature, but three personalities. Father, Son, and Spirit. God the Son in this world, while his nature was the same as God, and his inherent power and ability was the same as God, he came into this world and he was submissive to the Father. He was subordinate, not in his nature or character, but in functionality. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, not my will be done, but yours. He was doing what God wanted him to do. We understand that. has nothing to do with who he is as God. has nothing to do with his nature. has nothing to do with his just all-out dunamis power. He is saying all the authority that exists is mine. It's been given to me, and I have it. So he then gives a command. The command he gives is in light of the authority he possesses. And if you become a follower of Christ, you live under his authority. And his authority is simply this. Here's the command. Make disciples. That is the command. There are several other critical verbs in there. Verbs for going, baptizing, and teaching. In the Greek language, they are called participles. You know, English majors are better at participles than than I am, but... This is Greek participles, so I'm going to kind of tell you. These particular way they're written has the idea of things that you will do in the process of of just going through life. Going, baptizing, teaching their ongoing things. But they have the force of a command because of the word make disciples. I know you don't care about grammar, but it's important. The the, the dominant verb, make disciples, which is written in an imperative voice in, in, in Greek, a command takes that command aspect and spreads it out to those participles going, baptizing, and teaching. So all of it has the force of command. I command you to go. I command you to baptize. I command you to teach. So what he's saying basically is this. 
You're going through the world living your life. Make disciples while you're doing that. If you make disciples and they become followers, then you baptize them. You baptize them, by the way, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the triune God. Now, I, I never cease to be amazed at the number of people in denominations who do not teach the Trinity. Do not believe the Trinity is taught in the New Testament. The word Trinity is not used. <laughs> I, I do this a lot because I'm just amazed at how people just don't pay attention. If it says to you that you baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and grammatically they are linked together, it stands to reason that that's the Trinity. Not three gods. It can't be three gods. It's one God with three personalities. <laughs> and how people don't get that is baffling. I just don't know how to explain. When people tell me that stuff, I just want to look and say, I don't know what to say to you. Because if Jesus saying it doesn't convince you, I got nothing. I don't want to tell you. Goodbye. Good luck. Good riddance. <laughs> Baptize them. And then you teach them. That's discipling. What do you do? To preserve everything I've commanded you. What did he command us? Oh, I don't know. Maybe love one another. That's a command. That's a pretty good command. Peter says, remember I told you that Sunday? Peter says that Jesus ordered him to go. That's a command. I mean, teach them everything you have at your disposal. You know, by the way, I'm with you always to the very end of the ages. To, 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 to when the time comes to no longer share the gospel, which, by the way, is with the second coming. I'm there with you. Now, what I want you to see in this passage that's important is what Jesus is telling them to do is, get this, you've probably never heard this before, so I don't know, is you need to be aggressive in going and getting followers. It is not a passive activity. It is an aggressive activity. Now, the aggressive part is our strategy and our desire to go. It's not that we're to be aggressive. Now, too often the church is aggressive in terms of, you know, turn or burn and are, you know, just going to people and confronting them to their face and, and saying, you know, you don't get it right, you're going to hell. That's not what he's talking about. He is saying our pursuit of people who are lost is to be aggressive. It is the priority of the church. So we live in a time, and I'm always, I, I get asked sometimes why I don't deal with certain subjects, and, and part of it is because I'm a coward, and I don't want to, and part of it is because I just don't think I need to. But I try, I have a philosophy about other churches. I don't plow in another man's field. I don't tell other pastors what they should do. I don't plow in their field. But I will look at their field and look at their fruit sometimes and their crop and think, well, that's a lousy crop. So I won't tell them what to do. I'll just judge them for what uh, they've done. <laughs> Be critical and somewhat snarky and sarcastic. This, hear me on this. We need to love people. We need to help people. And we need to minister to people. But ministry is not the priority of the church. It is the result of our priority. Because of our salvation. <clears throat> and we love people 
We want to help them physically. We want to help them emotionally. We want to help them, you know, with food and clothing or whatever. We want to, we want to create ministries. I get that. It's not It's important. Debbie and I support ministries all over the world. We support Compassion International. We support Charity Water. You know, our church supports different ministries. Ministry is not the priority. Because when they face Jesus, if they don't follow him in this life, it didn't do any good that they were well-fed and nourished and we helped them. We have failed them if we don't share the gospel. Now, that ministry may be an avenue of sharing the gospel. So missionaries, a lot of times, they go in the world, uh, and they'll say, okay, we need school teachers. I'll go teach school. I'll go out. We need hospitals. I'll go start a hospital. You know, we, we, need, we need these things. We'll go start these ministries. So Charity Water, which, and like other organizations like it, which provides drinking water, clean drinking water for communities, that's a ministry, but its ultimate goal is to be in the name of Christ. Ultimate, ultimate goal always is making disciples. I say this because we need to recognize that we have to have an aggressive attitude in where we go. So we just look at our community, Las Cruces. And here's the thing. There are as many opportunities for us to make disciples as there are adults who attend our church. Whether that be adults and children and youth, I get that. But whether that be those who don't know Jesus, there's an opportunity. So on Sunday, especially at 945 and 11, but some at 832, people come who don't know Christ, that's an opportunity. Whether it be those of you who are fathers of Christ, because every one of you know people who need Jesus. I say this constantly. So I get asked, what is my strategy? I, someone came, some, I may have told you this before, some denominational guy was here one time, or I don't I think he was here. He was visiting our church, he just showed up. And he said, what, what is your evangelistic strategy? I, well, I don't really have one. What's your church's strategy? Well, our strategy is pretty much this. We rely on our people to share the gospel of Jesus wherever they go. Seems to me that was the biblical strategy. Don't have, I don't have a plan of things I take them through. You know, we help do some church plants. That's strategic. You know, we do this or that. But at the end of the day, if our people don't go share Jesus with folks, then we're going to fail. Why do I think that? Well, A, it's easier for me. I don't have to come up with a bunch of stuff. But B, and most importantly, because Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. That's your job. I have my people I got to go to. <laughs> Truth be known, I don't know as many lost people as you do probably. You know why? Because I'm surrounded mostly by Christian people. You know, we can joke and say, well, a deacon's meeting, there's some there, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, y'all know far more than I know. It's true. And if you don't go aggressively, we got no shot. Now, keep that in mind. So, Acts 1-8. I, I share this this past Sunday. I share this all the time. If you want to understand the book of Acts, understand Acts 1-8. It's just that simple. 
Acts 1.8, Jesus tells you, Luke builds the book of Acts around this verse. So he says, you'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He's come upon you, you shall be. I love that part. Not you may be, you shall be. You have no option. You're my witnesses. You have the Holy Spirit. You are my witnesses, good or bad. And then he's telling the apostles this. You're going to start in Jerusalem, and then you'll go to Judea and Samaria, those are surrounding areas, and to the remotest part of the earth. Now, normally, I've heard this so many times, and I, and I get this, I understand why they do it, I don't like it, but, you know, Baptists, you know, we have um, foreign or international missions now. I still use the old terminology sometimes. I still call it the foreign mission board. It's the international mission board. We have home, or what we now call national missions, that's America, and Canada. We have state missions, which is, you know, Mexico, and then we have regional missions. And so it's popular to say, well, this, you know, this applies. Our Jerusalem is here in Las Cruces, and Judea is our state. And then Samaria is America. I don't know how they get that, because Samarit- the Samaritans were the people that Jews didn't like. But, so maybe California, uh, places like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm from Texas. I include Oklahoma, but some of you from Oklahoma. And if you, some of you are from California, I'm sorry. I just I pick a state. I don't care. And then the rest of the world. And that's fine, except that's not what that teaches. <laughs> that's okay to have that. It's not what that teaches. What this teaches is it's the vision of Jesus as extrapolated throughout this book. The vision is to get to all the world. And then he gives us the, 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 the purpose. It's to bear witness. You're witnesses. That's your purpose. The visions go all the world. And then he tells us how we're equipped to do that. You have the Holy Spirit. All of you who are followers of Christ, I, people say, we need to equip people to share the gospel. I know. They have the Holy Spirit. They're equipped. And they have the Bible. They're equipped. Now, I know i got to add some to it. I get that. I, I get all that. You're already equipped. And so, here's what happens. And I'm going to go through this a minute. While... I mean, Matthew, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, tells us that we have an obligation to aggressively go. Acts 1.8 tells us that we have the assurance we'll be successful. You have the assurance you'll be successful. Not necessarily that people come to Christ. You'll be successful because you will be witnesses. He's telling us that. We have the Holy Spirit. All right. I got the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, go make disciples. All right. Where do I go? Everywhere. You know, Jerusalem, Judea, all those places. Go. And then read the book of Acts. Now, when you read the book of Acts, you think about this. Think about how aggressive they are. We're going to talk about Acts chapter 2 next week when the Holy Spirit comes. That's an important passage. But just think, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, in chapter 4, Peter and James are in front of the, Jew, the Jewish ruling council that killed Jesus. When I came to y'all, if you have a call back in uh, March of 2015, five years ago, and that time has passed fast, hasn't it? Seems just like five years ago that I was coming. And when I, when I preached that message, I preached from Acts 4.12. The main things make the main thing the main thing. When they were standing before the Jewish council, and you know what they said? It's great. Now, I've told you this. I told you this last week. Peter said, you crucified him, God raised him from the dead. That's aggressive. That's super aggressive. And that's even being just a little bit unreaggressive aggressive on Peter's part. I mean, he's just laying into him. I don't think we should lay into people, but, we're, but Peter can because he's Peter and, and we're not Peter. And then keep reading. And then you find it and you go over to Acts 13. And then you got Paul 
And he and Barnabas, they go off, and they leave that area of Antioch. You know, that you, they go off to the rest of the world. They start off in Asia Minor, what we call Turkey. They're aggressive. In the second journey, they go, Paul, he just, you know, he goes to Philippi. He's thrown in jail. And when he's in jail, he just keeps preaching and singing while he's in jail. He goes, in Acts 17, he goes to Athens, and he's at the height of culture. I mean, it's like, it's like all these great philosophers. It's like he walked in, you know, and if you, if you took all, all the guys and gals from Harvard and Yale and you put them all in one place and talking philosophy and religion, he just walked in there and started talking about Jesus. That is all aggressive. It is the nature of the faith to aggressively go. When you end the book of Acts, Paul is in jail in Rome. And here's the thing. Everything Jesus said would happen in Acts 1-8 happened. They went to Jerusalem. People believed. They went to Judea. People believed. Acts 8, they were in Samaria. People believed. In the rest of Acts, they went to the rest of the world at that time in the Roman area. And guess what? People believed. And they were very successful. So successful that they were, you know, the non-Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, were trying to kill them all. That's how successful they were. So what we see in Acts 1-8, if you have in Matthew 28 the call to go, in Acts 1-8 you have the strategy of going. And what you have is we need to have a vision of where the gospel needs to go. Now it's very simple. God has given us Las Cruces in the surrounding area. That's our vision. Now, I know we're going to include, you know, we got a project in Phoenix. I got that. I, I led us in that way. And we're going to all the world, going into Juarez. A couple of weeks ago, Joe is going to Brazil. It's an expensive trip. We only bought him a ticket down there. We haven't bought the ticket back yet. I'm not confident what we're going to do that, but we might. So we got, you know, now I understand all that. But our main priority is here. Because this is what God has given us. So our vision is to reach Las Cruces and the surrounding area with the message of Jesus. Whether people come or not, I don't know. So that's our vision. Then we have to have a purpose. Our purpose is to be witnesses. (laughs) Now, that's good, but you need more than that. So you have to have some strategy involved. And so we do have strategy. People ask what our purpose is, and I'll say, well, our mission, our purpose is to reach people for Jesus as fast as we can. That's what I tell them. That's that's it. Strategically, there are things that we do. We have a group of kids over in Awana right now. That is a strategic way. It's like, you know, got to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Okay, strategy. That's a strategy right now. That's part of our strategy. is, Is to take those kids and to infiltrate their minds and souls with the gospel of Jesus Christ so they will become followers of Jesus. That's what we're doing. In the process, hopefully reach parents who don't know Jesus as well. That's what we're doing. Now, we're not going to force them to do it. We're just teaching them about Jesus. We have, strategy, so we, we have strategies for what we do. The reason we try to be so strategic in what we do is to keep focus on the gospel. So we get asked sometimes, I guess, pastor and staff, why don't we do certain things? Not that certain things aren't good. Do they help us achieve strategy, our purpose to reach people. If it doesn't help us, then 
I don't tend to do it. Let me give you an example from back when I was in Laredo. So we had a couple very actively involved community, great community, great people, involved in human, uh, Habitat for Humanity, great organization. Fantastic. I had no problems with it. She wanted me to get our church involved, and I asked one simple question. Are we going to be allowed? There's a lot of organizations and churches involved. Am I going to be allowed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? The answer is no. I said, then we won't participate. Why? Because it's not like people aren't already doing that. They've got plenty of people helping. She just wanted us to do it so we could say, we're doing it. You know, First Baptist Laredo's doing it. Yay us. Get our name somewhere. and People say, oh, good for y'all. Then help us in. Maybe if no one else was doing it at all, we might do it, which is what happened in Bridgeport when we were needed and called upon to help with the home and Habitat for Humanity because no one else would do it. So that was a different case. We were allowed to share the gospel. The point simply is this. This is why we do things so strategically or try to. It helps us bring people to Jesus. Now, we have an assurance in Acts that if we will faithfully honor sharing the gospel, we will see people come to Jesus. So here's the thing. you got to think that way in your own personal life, in your personal family. So let me ask you this. What is your strategy for sharing Jesus? What is it? Who? Who's the person? Who is your whatever? I don't care if you call it Jerusalem, Judea, I don't matter. Who is that person? And strategically, what do you plan on doing about it? Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever thought about how can I, not from a personality standpoint, but how can I be a little more aggressive in finding opportunities to share the gospel? See, all all I really, as your pastor, wants you to do is just find one person right now. And when that one comes to Jesus or completely rejects, you go into another one. But you need to think. You need to think in your mind and pray, God, give me some sense of who it is and help me to be strategic in doing that. <laughs> not, not just come up. This is most people's strategy. Well, if they ever ask me how to come to Christ, I'll do it. <laughs> you know how often that's going to happen? Very little. It might, occasionally. But if they ask you how to come to Jesus, do you know why they ask you? Because you've involved yourself in their life strategically, and they feel like, okay, you have something I don't. People who get at when people, no, it's not, I, then the pastor's different. Most people I know, when someone asks them how to come to Christ, it's after they've already invested in their life. It's after you've strategically invested in their life. They just, just don't walk up off the street, look at you, see you carrying your Bible, wearing your cross, having a t-shirt, and just ask you how to come to Jesus. Now, why am I saying this? Because here's the thing. The movement of the early church was founded this way. And if that's how it was founded, that's how it keeps on going. Strategies change. Ministries change. Methods change. But the fundamental mission and message never do. The mission is to go make disciples. It is to be the witnesses. The message is Jesus is Lord. None of that changes. The methods, the ministries, the messaging, how we message it, may. So ask yourself in your life, 
Not just are you willing to do these things, but are you being strategic? Are you going? Are you making disciples? You're not going to do any baptizing probably, so just hold off on that. But are you teaching? Are you being a witness? Oh, is that, is that happening? So hopefully that's a little bit different way of looking. Not different, but just an, maybe an amplified way of looking at those critical passages. So at this time, we got a few moments, so I'll be happy to answer questions about this. Uh, something else maybe if you've got, if you got a few minutes. Brian said he doesn't need out of here, getting here until about 7.30. Is that right? No? So, any questions at all? So, let's go in. I guess no questions. That's good. I like not answering questions. Stay out of trouble that way. We'll see you later. <laughs>